What's up, everybody? I'm Adam Watts. Mike Jackson. Gannon Arnold. This is Broken City Artist Podcast, episode 10. And we're here today to talk about stuff, just like usual. Art, life, music, which is also art, and everything else. We're here at Broken City Studios in Brea, California. This is a keyboard. <laughs> Quite loud. That's a person. <laughs> I didn't expect that to be on. So, um, we got some questions today from... Facebook, Instagram, yeah, we cast some lines out, and some people have some things they'd like to hear us talk about. So we're just going to dive right into that. Michael uh, Meza, Meza, Michael Meza. What are some good books on composing, preferably with CDs? There probably is a good one. They're probably, yeah, they probably exist, but, <laughs> but none of us know where they. And exist. it depends on what kind of composing too. Yeah. We could talk a little yeah. bit about composing, and I've actually, I don't know what I'm talking about because I actually wrote a book on composing, but I don't really call it a book. Flyer. It's almost like a pamphlet. Yeah, like a flyer. It's uh, and it's on songwriting, but I think it, it, the concepts within it apply to, uh, or pop music. Pop music, but to any kind of composition, I think. Um, but if if you want, Michael, I can I can send you a PDF of that. It's called Contrast and Balance in Songwriting. But I think in composition, it's personalized. It's what yeah. It, you have to somehow externalize what's inside of you, um, and then the the genre in which you're writing in, or uh, whatever idiom you're writing in. I mean, has so much to do with it as well. I don't know if there's a if if there's a single resource. Um, that would be of use in that. I know, um, maybe perhaps specifically, uh, specifically, uh, orchestration, mm-hmm. um, might be a better route to find, to find an actual, like, textbook, um, because that, that's certainly a skill that you can use to help with your composition, is how to orchestrate for a certain, um, grouping of instruments, um, whether it be orchestral or percussion or... Or whatever. Yeah, it depends on I think probably where where you're at too. What's your jumping off point? Have you written stuff before? Is this are you you know a musician that it's like you don't want to start composing and you haven't ever done it? I think that or you've been doing it a while and you want to get better or wherever your starting place is. I think your next step is sort of all about where you've been and where you want to go. And I think composing I think should be an inside out process so like if you kind of start outside in meaning like trying to read about and learn about techniques and then apply those to composing that can sort of end up being like the tail wagging the dog in a way where you're trying to put it's almost like starting with the alphabet without knowing any words and then just trying to randomly put words like letters together and hope it turns into words and I think Composing in a way is like you have the words inside you and you just want to know what to do with them, like what language to speak. So I think it really comes down to like an intent in a lot of ways. Tell me what you guys think about this because I think when you know what you want to say or you have this feeling like you want to create, you do need some amount of technique. Like you can't just go to the guitar not ever having played it before with this intention to express something um, and get something out of it maybe that matches your intention. But maybe you can, you know, like maybe maybe there is a way to sort of translate what you have inside of you onto out through an instrument you've never played before. It's probably going to take you a while, but you're more likely to find, I think, unique ways to do things. Yeah. But you'll be limited, but if you kind of understand your limitations, then... Maybe you'll need to translate that feeling to compose into maybe something minimalistic. You know, like if I'd never played a guitar before, I might not even know to put my hand here. I might just end up sliding up and down and just finding notes and just take your time with it. I mean, there's actually a guitar player that plays that way, right? Um, What's his name? The guy that taps. Oh, Stanley Jordan. Stanley Jordan. Yeah, if you YouTube Stanley Jordan. But anyway, there's lots of different ways to, to... think approach composition and the more a lot of it yeah it's just trial and error and uh yeah discovery through discovery finding the things you like or the things that work 
uh, the things that are, that are in line with like resonating with well yeah but in line with your intent mm-hmm. like I wanted something to sound this way and it really does that sound that way I think that's I know for me personally that's been a, a battle where yep. I will write I will write things down and I have I, I hear it in my head and then you get in context and it doesn't sound the way I intended it to sound and then you change it so I change it and then it's through a process of just remembering and you, you sort of build this vocabulary when you want the certain sound you want the certain effect um, and it's it's limitless like there's no there's no limit to, to that vocabulary you're always discovering like new ways of doing things new you, sounds and you know what's cool in that man is like that process what did you say what did you call it discovery just yeah through discovery or trial and error trial and error yeah so I think patience and uh, a certain kind of patience to make sure that your intention always comes first because if you're sitting there and you're like oh I want to write I want to write and you want something dark and you're like, let's say you play guitar and you know some basic chords, and you're like, I don't know if that's it. No, that's not it. That's kind of dark, yeah. Maybe guitar's out of tune. I don't know, you know, just like you're like searching around, and if you're impatient, you might settle for something that's like pretty close. Yeah. Whereas, if you take the time to be really exacting with your intent, like you said, aligning with your intent, and don't settle for like uh, any kind of what's the word for that just don't settle for anything other than your intent and you're going to feel it it's like almost like listening to your gut and just searching until you find that right that right chord that's like ooh that's the way it feels and if you're a lyricist the same thing don't settle for the first pretty close cliche or I think that's composition is something that you can take your time on I mean it's like the in some ways, it's similar to performance in that you, I think a lot of composition is rooted in some sort of improvisation um, where you, you come across a moment and embrace it. A lot of singer-songwriters just press record and then start improvising and then they capture melodies. But composing, especially for multiple instruments, like you're saying, like an ensemble or something, you have all the time in the world to get it right and don't settle. I think that'd be like a big thing about composing. You could even apply this to photography. It's a common usage of the word, like the composition of a photograph. Right. And what was your intent? What were? What are you trying to draw focus to? Um, yeah, it's a big one. And what are you trying to capture? What What is? What is the the essence of the photograph? What is it trying to say? I mean that that's a composition. So I think in using that word. Mm-hmm. Composition. I immediately separate that from the anomalies of a live performance or capturing, you know, capturing a, a live event. It's a composition. You know, like, my mental space is that you know, creating from scratch. Yeah, you're sitting at a desk and you you got your quill and <laughs> and and you're you're composing something. Um, yeah, whether it's you know, whether it's a book, it's literature, uh, photograph, or, or music. There's intent behind everything. So just trying to align your output, your results with your original intent and then you just keep doing it forever and you just get better at it. I don't think you, you ever get 100%. It's just you get closer. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's, that, that's, how, that, that's how it is for me. What's that famous quote that like, art is never finished, it's just abandoned? I don't actually agree with that, but it's hopefully to look at it. <clears throat> that's a big one and I can, if we can trade guitars since that one's louder and also in tune. One of the things that, as far as a technical thing, like a lot of some of the composition books that that I've browsed through and looked through, like I took some composition courses that really didn't teach me much in terms of composition, but it really came through trial and error. But um, when I decided I was doing this seminar on songwriting and I had written this pamphlet, it's like I like to call it a book, but it's not. It's like 15 pages. But it really, it's because I want, it's like I feel like composition is about intent and then everything else is more about philosophy and then finding techniques that help magnify your intent as opposed to tell you what to do or tell you what not to do which really tends to put you in a mindset of what's right and what's wrong and what the rules are whereas you never know I mean you never know what's inside you you could have something that that transcends the idea of of composing within like the diatonic scale 
but if that's what you're trained in composing or that's the chapters you've read is all diatonic, you know, just like do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do writing, but your intent is in chromaticism or the harmonic minor scale or something, you might actually be limiting yourself by studying um, unless you decide to study everything in the whole world. So, I don't know, it's one of those things where it's like, it's difficult, but to get back to like, this thing that I wrote was all about contrast because usually when you're composing you have something that you want to say and it comes out. So like, um, let's say I was writing between two chords, like take that dark chord thing and I was just going like, okay, that, that feels good, that feels like my intent. Um, what would be, so the chords are changing, so we're talking about contrast here, if that's your basis, and you kind of want to know where to go as a composer, so I'm holding on one chord for a bar, another chord for another bar, and that's like, let's say that's my verse or my section A. do is you just you study the content of what you've created and a good way to sort of think of a good place to go is to do as much of the opposites of what you're doing in section A and section B and that's a way to like awaken the mind and take the listener somewhere um, if that's your intent but it's a great way to sort of like completely turn the tables so I'm playing like a minor nine chord here or or a minor chord with a two in it and then a minor chord with a two in it so a minor nine and e minor nine and i'm holding the bar the the chords for a bar each so i think okay why don't i change chords twice as fast as i was in section a and instead of playing these dark chords with a with a rub in them like it's got that minor second and so does this one to go to changing chords. Hit the right notes. Did I? This plugged in. So changing chords twice as fast and moving to a more like a happier sound with more of an open, maybe a major third thing. And then, so there's two things I can do. I can change chords twice as fast, and I can move to a different mood. So I'm changing the the rate of the chords and the mood. And then I can also change the way I'm playing. So I'm going from finger picking, and then I can say in section B, I'm going to change chords twice as fast, I'm going to play happier chords, and I'm going to strum. So now, not only like, am I, I'm changing three different things along the sort of like horizontals of what you can do. So I go from this. instant feeling like you've gone somewhere and all you've done is analyze where you've been and completely switch up going into the next section and it already sounds like a song so just kind of like switching things up section to section like that is it's a technique but it take it takes you somewhere and then it's all about aligning that with your intent so there there are like 12 different ways that I write about in this book to sort of in a lot of ways, it's about digging you out of one section and propelling you into the next by analyzing where you've been. And hopefully where you've been is somewhere that's rooted in intent. So, yeah, that, anyway. That uh, book, pamphlet, flyer, is a, definitely a great resource like when you're stuck, like for sure. Yeah. You hit, a, you hit a brick wall and just pop open a couple chapters on that. And it's, it's definitely a cool, cool resource. 
And it's, it's fun, too, because af- after I wrote that, it felt really true, and it's definitely helped me a lot to just sort of, like, it's a little springboard or a rope out of a, out of a hole. But then when I went back and analyzed a lot of the most famous songs in history, it was, like, it was all right there. Like, it, there's something about contrast that is an innate part of great composing and great songwriting, because it's just, like, not only is it make you remember things when you hear something or see something that has a lot of contrast, but it it wakes you up and it makes you feel. Because, like, the things that you remember in life are the things that stood out in stark contrast to the mundane things in life. So you don't remember every time you brush your teeth, but you do remember that time you had the, like, cavity, you know? So it's like that moment stands out. So if you can make that happen musically... It's almost like a metaphor representation of what life is. You remember remember birthdays. You don't remember just random days, you know. Birthdays right. and cavities. Birthdays and cavities. So <laughs> that's the name of the podcast. <laughs> so anyways, that didn't answer your question really, sort of. I promoted my own book. That's a pamphlet. <laughs> that's not for sale. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, YouTube might be a good resource too. There's lots of different things if you're looking for like techniques. Mhm. You know. Oh, that stuff's useful. Yeah, way. there's tons of techniques, and you got to know some technique is good. You got to start somewhere, and you got to study, but never lose sight of intent, and yeah. never let a rule box you in. Yeah, totally. If you can exist within rules, and you're like, oh, great, I, this is exactly what I needed. I mean, there are great songwriters who use three, four chords, mm-hmm. and so like, yeah, great melody. There's a lot you Words. can do with a little, and there's a little you can do with a lot. It also depends on the idiom. Like in pop music, it's it's more simplistic. Mm-hmm. In composition, like for what we were talking about with orchestras and things like that, it could be more complex. You need more in your toolbox. You know, I don't know what this. I don't know what he's interested in. So it's hard to say like what's the mm-hmm. best method for him. But the fact that he said composing kind of makes me think it's not songwriting. But yeah, it's more like compositional. But that's all. All that stuff is. I mean, you're gonna need contrast and composition as well. You yeah, contrast, melodic contrast, all stuff valuable. Be fearless. Yeah, Get stuff from your heart. Let your uh, your instincts be your guide as to like what you're drawn, what kind of music you're drawn to means that's the kind of mu- that's the in general the kind of music that you're probably going to want to create. There's something about probably the person who composed that thing that you love that as a human being you connect to. There's something in them that's like what's in you, and I think that's a key thing is to get in touch with why they created that, not necessarily what they created but the why behind it. Because you're going to have your own reasons why you compose, which is intent. And that's going to lead you down the pathway to figuring out what techniques you need to realize your intent. Right? Sounds good to me. On to the next one. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, okay now, Todd Lowe. Tove Lowe? Tove Lowe. Do you believe in writer's block? If so, how do you find the best way to break it? I love this question. Who wants to go first? Yes, I'm a firm believer in writer's block. You are? (laughs) Good, then we have something to talk about. I don't Um, believe in it. There's moments when you're creatively not as inspired, but I always just write through it. I just keep writing until I get through it. For me, uh, I think I understand the the context of of what you mean by that you don't believe in it. it's not like Santa Claus. I don't know if you I can think, believe or not believe in it. Well, <clears throat> for me, it's it's about it's about uh, limitations that are either um, imposed upon me. As um, I, I'm normally writing for for students, and and so there's there's definitely like a a, a ceiling there of of ability and talent level that you eventually hit. There's yeah. also a physicality of. Um, physical limitations and uh, you know it's it's not a recording like I can't do I can't punch in and do takes um, it's it's got to be something that's performed live um, so I, I I find myself hitting a block of maybe what I want to do is outside the realm of their capabilities which creates maybe it's not maybe it's not a block so to speak um, you know we can analyze it and, and philosophically tear it apart but <clears throat> but basically what it does it it, it forces you to do more with less yeah. which 
really like sparks the creativity. Um, I used to write for this this really um, uh, novice ensemble, and it it had to come across as this you know fine tuned polished um, you know product by by the end of the season, and uh, I think. That was the most education I've ever gotten. Really? As far as my line of work, my career was writing for this group that had almost, you know, just bottom layer skill set. And, uh, and being there for years, I, I worked with this group over a decade. And I feel like that, that particular experience um, helped me with writer's block. That you have to you have to somehow be a genius with you know this this limited vocabulary limited mm-hmm. skill set, um, but I, I definitely I feel that I probably I probably feel it every time I sit down to write. Oh really? But it's, it's like a writer's hurdle. Yeah, it's it's not necessarily like this you know immovable object. It's it just how long is it going to last? Is it going to last five minutes? Is it going to last, you know, a half hour and then I walk away from it, do something else and come back to it and then I have, you know, sort of a little micro-epiphany? Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, I guess the way I'm interpreting the question, or interpreting the phrase writer's block, mm-hmm. I, I picture that as it could be, you know, like ripples in a pond that you just have to navigate. It could be speed bumps. It could be hurdles, like you said. It could be walls that you have to scale. It could be mountains that you have to climb. It just depends on where you're at and, and what you're doing, but I feel like almost every creative decision is, at some minuscule level, a writer's block. Like, mm. which way am I going? Fork in the road. I don't go that way, you know? Yeah. But my interpretation. What do you think, Anna? No, it's cool. Uh, I kind of had a writer's block today. So, but I think it depends on how much music you're writing. I've been writing a lot of music, so it's like I think there comes to a point where you're like, crap what do I do next you know what, what it, or where where am I inspired to go usually I'll come up with crappy tracks or songs or ideas and then I'll get a good one so that's my process I like I just write through it I'll just like this song sucks oh well sorry I brought you over here we were working with this guy Josh today and Adam actually had a good idea and I tried with him earlier I just nothing was working like everything I tried to I'd have him record a melody and we were like eh. so sometimes it just it, I don't get worried about it I just know that's part of the process you know and I wasn't totally inspired today. You know, I've been kind of, I'm kind of burnt because mm-hmm. of last week, so much activity. So, like, this week I'm sort of like, you know. I think that you touched on the intent as well with, with that. That if you, if you really have nothing to say, either in that five minutes or in the hour or in that day or it could be a week, if you have nothing to say, then you have nothing to say. I mean, you're yeah. trying to draw from a well that's, that's dry. Um, I think, for me, I know that's that's the cure when I have when I have intent. Like, this is exactly what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. This is what I want to communicate. Then it feels more free flowing, with right. less uh, interruptions. I guess. Yeah, I would say that for me, writer's block is like it assumes that you have a desire to write, but you're blocked. So, what is this desire to write? Like that, to me, that would be the first thing. Like, if I want to write and I can't write, then I feel like that there's some internal issue, like with expectations or ego, or there's some there's some place you're not willing to go, or that maybe you haven't discovered, or you've written so much of one thing that that you can't do it again so you're kind of like you're digging in the same they're digging in the wrong place old reference Indiana Jones but like you're trying to find something where you've already found everything maybe or um, you're desiring to write for some reason that isn't what writing's about like I want to write because I want this to happen as a result of the writing so you're really not in a in a place of writing you're in a place of wanting something finished so that you can say that you had written or because you need to have a song done for your band rehearsal or you know what I mean that 
That it's, can be inspiring, though, sometimes. It can when be inspiring, bend, but, but it, it can also be a drag if you're not. Yeah, it can be great, but, I mean, in, this, in the case of this where it's like you have writer's block, to me, it's there's a reason why the block is there, and it's not because you can't write. It's always... Because you can always... And this is, this is something Bono said from you, too. He said, if you have writer's block, then you can always write about having writer's block. And you're out. Yeah, yeah. It almost sounds like a, a trick of the mind, but I think it really is. I think it's, it's we create our own parameters too, yeah. which we don't realize are um, limiting. Don't exist. Yeah. Like you, you put those there. I, I do um, staging kind of choreography for those who don't know what the marching activity is, but mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> I feel like that's that's one of my my biggest like writer's block. Um, experiences is when I realize you know I'm I've I've got these human beings that are standing in front of me mm-hmm. and we're trying to to get some sort of um, either purposeful staging like getting the musicians in the right spot where they're supposed to be for mm-hmm. whatever they're playing um, or there's some sort of visual intent and you get boxed in and you, you have these limitations on how quickly can they get there how many counts we have left in in, in this in this portion of the music. And realizing that there's, when it seems like there's no way, like it just can't be done, mm. it's because of parameters that I've built up. Right. Like they can only move like this. They can they only do that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, trying to analyze whatever situation you're in. Um, I, I know Todd personally, he does web design, but, you know, maybe you're sitting there and, and trying to figure out, you know, what is the, the concept? Where do I want to take this website? And maybe there's just there's parameters that you're you're building, you're you're, you're forcing upon yourself that aren't really there. Like think thinking outside the box, yeah. allowing yourself to just break the rules. I think you know when Gannon said, you know, today I'm just going to write a crappy song or whatever. Um, I think sometimes that helps. Just break your own rules. Yeah. Well, what happened too yeah. is that. We were recording an idea, and I heard it back, and I was not happy with the result. And that sent me into a spiral of uh, depression and sort of like, like everything just starts, like a big light just shines on you, and like, idiot, idiot, (laughs) idiot. And then you're like, crap, now what? You know, and then it's just sort of this, it doesn't matter what's happening around you now, because even if people are trying to contribute, now you're bummed with yourself. So it just makes the whole process for me just go. Yeah, the expectation of 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 a certain result can really screw you up. Oh, yeah. Sometimes. Keep, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, it's, it's a little comforting that Paul McCartney has written some pretty crappy stuff. <laughs> <so, so. laughs> oh, for sure. All the great ones have, for sure. I think when you write that much music, you're going to not, not all of it's going to be amazing. Some of it's just uh, experimental that happens to, the public happens to have access to. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes what I like to do, too, is look at other people's creative process, like Philip Glass is a good example, or see how other people create music, and that's really inspiring for me, because I'm like, you can take things from that, like, oh, wow, cool. Like, the Underground River thing you were talking about, like, what he talks about in that movie, it's like, that was inspirational for you. It's like, you can, there's so much information on, on YouTube and stuff, that if you go on there, you can find, it can actually con- constantly inspire you. That's the thing, we have access to something that people didn't have access to 20 years ago. It's like, you know it's really really cool just reminded me is that I think one of the coolest things you can do is be inspired and research and and study um, dive into something that is completely different than what you're doing so if you're doing web design you know go go to a museum like check out some art Um, I mean that kind of works with everything but I know um, a lot of times well not a lot of time but almost a hundred percent of the time um like I personally am not inspired or or uh, motivated by things that are within my world, like what I do. Like I go to outside sources because mm-hmm. um, you know personally I don't want things to get too derivative. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean obviously you got to keep things in context for whatever you're working on, but. I think that, that that might be a good a good way to... It's interesting you should say that because I kept it more in music, like the idea of what you're talking about, where I went and looked at like hip-hop producers and like, what are they doing? And they're taking records and, you know, repurposing the, the information on the record, making new songs out of it. 
And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, I've never, like, delved into that world, and, like, it never interested me before, but I was like, this is like a, this is their art, and it's an interesting art form of taking a sample piece of music, repurposing it, uh, repurposing the wrong word, like, like pop art, collage art. We talked about it before. Where it's mm -hmm. like you're taking things that already existed but redoing it. It's like you're you're finding a new purpose for like a chord sequence or a, or a melody. It's like recontexting. Yeah, recontext. And then there's like a rapper that puts something on top of it, or even it's our R&B track. And I find that so fascinating because we're I think all of us are kind of we're creators, so we create from an instrument or you know we have the ability to do that. A lot of these guys they create on a on a little like MPC. You know, so it's like just they push buttons and they sample things, and all of a sudden they've come up with this other art form. That was definitely my what drew me to, to visual arts. Like, there's an art piece on the wall right there that I made, and it was done in that way. Like, yeah, I like that. I think recontexting objects because objects, whether they're aural, 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 they're uh, sonic objects, yeah. or whether they're visual objects, <laughs> you can take them. Put them in a new context, put them in a new ra relationship to each other, and those objects have their own story. So you're layering story upon story yeah. and creating your own story out of other stories. Like, that's what I love about taking antiques and specifically anim animal bones also, because you actually have the story of a life lived that's over, plus you have objects that have lived lives and had scratches and dents and... I don't know where they came from, but there's a feeling that this that this thing has lived something. Yeah. And that kind of motivates and guides how I put these items together and tell my own story. So, well, in a lot of way, we're doing that with chords. You yeah. Know, the A minor chord. It's been around for every, centuries. It's, it's everybody's. Yeah. Everybody can use it, but you can repurpose it and recontext it in any way you want. And it's recolor kinda, it. You it's kind of cool about hip-hop when they do that is they definitely take from old records, like old hip, like old Motown or... Even, or just obscure like R&B tracks and that's cool because it gives the younger generation like oh wow I didn't even know that existed it's I like, think there's an ethical issue with that though for me as I think long when as you I give think, credit and you give as long as you get credit I think it's okay uh, yeah I think when you don't because you're basically taking other people's art and standing on the shoulders of yeah. it very directly which I think there's there's philosophical and ethical things involved there, and I think if, as long as you give credit and it's... As long as people are getting paid. Yeah. Because yeah. otherwise it's stealing. Right. I mean, there, there's a fine line. I think these guys... We were talking to Ian about this, our manager, and he was he deals with a lot of hip-hop and R&B producers and stuff, and I think the thing is they do it first and ask for forgiveness later. So it's like they take things... Because you can't get permission off a track Before for no him. reason. Yeah. So no one's going to say, yeah, I'll just give, you can use that track for, for nothing. But you're going to have to, like, kind of do it. And some of these producers will say, like, they'll use gospel tracks. And a lot of time the gospel guys will hear the track. <laughs> what is, I'm not going to give you okay. <laughs> Talking about, you know, derogatory things and all this stuff. So it's an interesting culture because they definitely steal first, ask for permission later. And sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. And if it doesn't, they can't use the track. Yeah, and some of that's out of necessity. Like, there may be their intent required a choir yeah. and all they had was a laptop sure. and no choir so they're like I need a choir let yeah. me grab this choir from somewhere else and this from that and da -da. you know like I think it's I think it would be cool if it if is driven by intent there was a standard of, of giving credit yeah you know, it's because it, the fact that I mean some of these mashups are, are just completely illegal like there's no way they would get permission and so people will anonymously put them together just right. for the love of, of the art of collage and you know they post them you know on SoundCloud or, or wherever but uh, some of them are just brilliant like just amazing and how they 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 uh, doctor the either the tempo or the key or they just it, the way they, they place them in it's just it's art it's There's totally art it's to totally it. art and yeah. I can totally appreciate it and it's all in that in that case in that particular context like there's they're not trying to cloak the original. It's, it's out there for you to actually recognize it. Mm -hmm. in, the, in the sense of some of the hip-hop stuff, it's yeah. it's definitely cloaked. Like, I remember the, um, it's a Janet Jackson song that uses um, Ventura Highway from America. Mm -hmm. America. Um, but I remember talking to someone that had no idea that that was not 
a Janet Jackson song. That's what happened with Every Breath You Take. That guitar, yeah. yeah. (laughs) You know, it's. I wish they were. There's a little bit more overt effort to just give credit, and I I don't think that's a bash on the art form, and I wouldn't I wouldn't say that it takes any less talent or creativity to do that kind of art form. It's just a different. It's just a different skill set. I think it's a different skill set, but there is something to be said for starting from you know, virtually nothing, starting from, let's say, like, a table full of tools and then making something. A table full of tools and a pile full of raw materials and making something from intent. As opposed to a table full of tables and then making a different table by stacking tables. It's like people made those tables and you're using their creations to create yours. And that can be, I think, there can be art in that. But I think you're a little bit removed from those first steps, you know. I think that, and that's, there's something to be said for that. Because creating something from nothing is harder, I think. It's a more difficult task. Well, you couldn't have the subsequent art form right. without the, the primary art form. What they should have Perfectly done is said, a book yeah. on composition. Then go. they would have the tools to write their own songs. <laughs> Where's that book? What book did we get? <laughs> well, I got this pamphlet. <laughs> Something that I've done in the past where I've like desired to create. The desire was to create, but the conscious thought was, I want to write a song. And it wasn't that I needed to write a song. It was that I needed to express myself. And when I found a camera... I realized, like, sometimes when I feel like I need to express myself, I was forcing myself to write a song when really I needed to go walk around with a camera in a city and start taking pictures of things. And yeah. that that scratched that same itch, but it wasn't that I needed to make a song. Like, I didn't need to make something for my ears. I needed something for my eyes. And, like, allowing yourself that ability to sort of do whatever, like, create and express, but it doesn't necessarily have to be writing or composing, it can be anything. Creativity has no self-image, you know? Yeah, you can do it with anything. An ant farm can be creative. For the ants. <laughs> it's their creation. All those tunnels they dig, that's creative. It's true. Or is it craftsmanship? I showed you that, that, that ant hole art that the guy did. No. Oh, yeah. Killer stuff. You can probably search, Google it. But yeah. The guy pours molten, I, I think it's, it's aluminum that he used? think so yeah just molten aluminum in an ant hole lets it sit and then digs it out digs it out like a day later and it's just this amazing I mean poor ants but (laughs) I was going to say there's a consequence (laughs) to that I I don't know maybe he post notice slightly melted maybe he got evacuated (laughs) eviction notice on a little twig you guys need to be out of here by 3 o'clock on Thursday yeah aside from the aside from the lava will be your future (laughs) Aside from the ethnic cleansing of the of the ants, it's uh, it's really cool. Great art. <laughs> Check it out. Wow. Anyways, but yeah, that take that for what really you will. interesting because there's a guy who stood on the shoulders of ants, <laughs> little gods creatures. What's cool is that each uh, species, I guess, is different. Like he does this type of ant, and it looks a certain way. And then he does this type of ant in a completely different region, and it looks like a completely different sculpture. They have a different architectural, like... Yeah, it's amazing. It's pretty cool. Wow. Anyway, shout oh. out to that guy. I knew his name. Hey, look at that. What's that? Ryan? Um, my alarm. Ryan Haskell? Ryan Haskell. Question for Mike, Adam, and Gannon. How would each of you describe and rate the music scene of the city you're currently living in now? <laughs> Like well, Elsinore? <laughs> like, oh, sorry. Right? You're currently living in, and how, if at all, has it shaped and or influenced your work? Well, I live in Irvine, and there's no music scene. Yeah, <laughs> Lake Elsinore. There's like, there's a, there's a prodigious, let's learn classical scene. You know, kids learning classical piano and things like that. But in terms of music scene, there's nothing. I mean, let's be real. I mean, the best music scene is L.A. If that's where you're looking. In the world? No, I'm just saying, in our local, and where we're at. She's got heated. <laughs> in the world? Not in the world. Interesting. Yeah. yeah Irvine's no, got nothing. Not at all. I haven't been influenced by... Well, I, I mean, I don't know. That's hard to tell. Because I, I I'm from Orange County, 
and definitely back in the day when there's just going to be a lot of name dropping right now, but um, yeah, the early 90s when we all met and um, yeah, let's say Orange County as for, as opposed to a city. Yeah, yeah Orange County's got like a I mean the the band Common Sense you can Google them and everyone who came in and out of that band and then there's connections to the offspring. Uh, Laguna Beach High School with Nate and um, yeah Nate Wood Taylor amazing Hawkins. musician Taylor Hawkins from the Foo Fighters he worked at uh, the music store in Lake Forest there um, next to Mission Viejo and then uh, uh, just all those all, all the guys I can't remember all the names yeah, but a all lot the of great came musicians came well Drew, Drew Hester Drew Hester um, well not him but everybody else is great <laughs> yeah and the music so it's there was more of a music scene too back then. There yeah. was. There's not as much now. Like the, the Belly Up in uh, San Diego. There were funk then, bands, there were disco bands, there were reggae bands. What's the yeah. place in Laguna Beach? The Sandpiper, Sand the White House. Yeah, Sandpiper. That was, it was definitely a scene. It definitely was. It's not as like, yeah. but right now it's not the same. Yeah. But I would say that I'm, we're, maybe even we're sort of sheltered from scenes. You know, I think you'd have sure. to ask somebody who's coming up, who's in like a social group, like whether it's like a church or a high school or a college that like is involved with hundreds of people of the same age doing stuff. Like I bet there's hidden scenes all over this place. Like I lived here for eight years and I didn't know that there was an art scene three miles from my house until I started making art and I was like, oh, it's an art walk and like there was a scene to be found. So like. I don't really know because I'm more of a like a recording artist person. I'm not out playing clubs. So I don't really know what the scene is. But even if when I did, there was a scene down in Lake Forest, for example, like where there was there's a, a band called Rival Sons, and the singer in that band is Jay Buchanan, and he came out of that South Orange County scene. There's a bunch of guys: Corey Joseph Clark and um, who else? Standing, Tons of people. Standing Hawthorne. Yeah, Stan Hawthorne, Chris yeah. Karn, AJ DeGrasse, a bunch of dudes that were like all playing at the Gypsy, uh, at this club called the G Gypsy Lounge. Wow. Yeah, so the Gypsy Lounge was the kind of this place where a bunch of singer-songwriters and rock bands, Wonder Love, all those bands. Square. Square, which is, had the guitar player from Maroon 5. And But his question is, is how has it influenced our work? And I would say that it, if anything, it influenced me in the opposite kind of like a counter type person like if everybody's doing something I want to do the opposite just because it's kind of who I am or something but I never wanted to watch bands before I played and like I never wanted to be influenced positively or negatively by what was going on uh, around sounds me sounds like what I do now really? yeah I you love avoid? I, well, I, I totally avoid I can't stand watching works in progress not because I'm I'm judging it like it's it's not good. Mm -hmm. It's because it's because my work is in progress. Yeah. So I don't want to be watching someone else's work in progress while I'm still like in your flailing thing. about and trying to finish whatever I'm doing. You I, have a tough job, man. Well, you know the contrast of that is my one of my favorite things I love to do is at the end of the season, I love to just sit down uninterrupted and watch the best of the best back to back and just take it all in I love taking in the final product when it's all said and done at the, uh, the end of the season so let me ask you this are you doing it to protect your process and not be either influenced or it's like you don't want those ghosts in the room when you when you go down sit down to finish what you're doing because you to explain to people who don't know what we're talking about like he you have to write something and start showing it to people before it's finished so like yeah. you're taking a half grown baby or like out of the womb and going like check it out for a second it's not done growing put it back in the womb grows and then by what how many shows do you have where the show's finished and you do the whole show percussion um, show there's probably at least three performances of an unfinished but even then I mean you could oh, three say, unfinished and you, how many you could say that they're all unfinished I mean we're still doing stuff you're just trying to perfect it all the way to the very end are you perfecting um, technical things or actually changing the composition you're probably not changing the composition of the last 
the last two weeks, maybe last two three weeks. But the composition is the way it's played. So yeah, yeah. But you're definitely tweaking things all the way up until the very end. Um, but yeah, to answer your question though, it's it's weird. It's it's both. It's psychological. Um, I don't want to be influenced, but I trust myself enough to not be influenced. Like I can watch things, but you can't unsee something. And yep. so that, for instance, let's create a hypothetical here. If if I have an idea, like I really want to do this, this thing, and then someone else has that same idea, um, I don't want to know about it. Yeah. Now, if we get to the end of the season and we're both doing the same thing because we both independently had that same idea, yeah. I'm totally fine with that. But it would be like, what if, yeah, I don't know if, if there's a good parallel, but it'd be like, what if the, the Beatles know. were watching Pet Sounds be recorded? Or if Pet Sounds were watching Sgt. Pepper's be recorded, if they saw the process, it would have been, I, I think it would have been a, a travesty like for, the, for those two works of art. Well, I have a perfect example of something that I wouldn't consider like, you know, like even my best work, but it was a life-changing song for me as a, in my career and just my life in general um, is this song called Beautiful Soul that was written in like 2003 and this kid Jesse McCartney recorded it and it became a big hit like globally and launched my career as a songwriter and led to you know so many things in my life like this studio was built with royalties partly from that song like huge huge thing for me and when I thought of that title as I co-wrote the song with Andy Dodd and I came up with the title and this little hook is sort of like chunk of it, showed it to Andy, and we went, and so, back then, I think iTunes was launched in 2003 or four. it was right around there, so, often what we do nowadays when we write songs, come up with a title, and be like, it's a pretty cool title, and you go and you like, Google it, or check the iTunes search engine, and you go, ah, there's another song with that title, had I done that, I would have found that there was a song called Beautiful Soul that was recorded by or written by the that 60s artist that did Son of a Preacher Man, what's her name? Dusty Springfield. Dusty Springfield, called Beautiful Soul. If I would have saw that, I probably would have been like, eh, I don't know if we finish this. And that song was a massive turning point in my career and life, you know, like my financial stability. Like, it opened so many doors in my life, and all it would have taken was that one little moment of second-guessing myself and allowing that creative door to open to the world before I was finished. And that's kind of what you're saying, like... You can't unsee you have, it, right? You can't unsee it, you can't unhear it. Seeing that somebody had done something before, it doesn't mean you're going to do the same thing. It just... Often it means it's going to take the wind out of your sails. But it's there, are millions, there are millions of people doing stuff. Some of it's going to be similar, but... Yeah. Our song is not anything like the Dusty Springfield song. Yeah. And there it's just a title, but it probably would have like hindered me from following through. And that's why I really believe creatively that when you're creating from a place of intent, from a place of personal expression or whatever it is that you gotta you can't allow something from the outside to kill your baby before it's born. Yeah. I don't look at How many of us have shown people something in process and we see the whole thing in our head and we're not even fully aware of what's recorded yet or written yet and you try to like you get a little insecure or you, you want you want some uh, <laughs> you're naughty already you want a little validation or encouragement and you show somebody something and they go yeah yeah that's cool I think we need some more uh, coffee creamer or something like change the subject and you're yeah. just like it kills you, right? I think I told you about the experience that we had that I had the other day about the um, just in the critique process about oh the, yeah the app. Not only is especially like if you're working if you're working in in an abstract manner, like you're not being literal with what you're doing. Yeah, 
it's already, um, you know, this elusive sort of like concept or storyline. You know, you're just gonna be missed. The, yeah, just by the fact that yeah. that it's abstract, and then to have a, an abstract work that's incomplete. It's just ridiculous to even talk about it. Yeah. So, so the, the, I don't get it. I don't get it. Well, you, you may not even get it when it's done. And you're certainly not going to get it before it's, <laughs> it's incomplete. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's, a weird, it's a weird thing. It's frustrating to be misunderstood, especially when it involves something like that. Like, yeah. And it, it's, not even, it's not even commentary on whether or not it's good or it's like, oh, it's this this grand work of art it's not done it's, it's not that at all it's just I think just as people just with integrity yeah you approach hopefully you approach everything you do with a sense of importance and a sense of that you're putting your name on it mm-hmm. so it doesn't matter if it's good bad or whatever it matters that you're putting your name on it and, and you're okay with that and that you identify that that represents the time I put into it it represents me yeah. To say, like, I wanted to understand it and I couldn't is different than I don't get it and I'm supposed to get it. Like, you're trying to make me get it and you're failing is what that implies. And I think that's totally, ba- like, wrong. It's like, if they're saying, like, gosh, I really wanted to understand that and I was trying and I couldn't, that, that's at least, like, honest and respectful. But to assume that you're trying to be got, that's like going up to a Jackson Pollock painting and go like, I don't see the person in that. Like, were you trying to draw a person? Like, you know what I mean? Like, assuming it was supposed to be like a elegant nude or something, and it just splatters. Like, that to me is just ignorance on the part of the viewer, yeah. which is fine. You know, I think when you do something abstract, you need to probably thicken your skin a little bit to yeah, know you're not, not going to be understood. So, like, it or not. like you've done tons of like very avant-garde jazz music yeah. and I'm sure there are people that are like huh? You know like don't get it. Yeah it's okay. It's okay. That's what they get it. It's like punk you rock. Can, you can enjoy it and not get it. Right. Yeah. If you don't enjoy it that's another When you're making music like that though you're, do, you're doing it mostly for yourself anyways it's self-indulgent so you're not trying to Wait say that again? Like when we were talking about avant-garde music or anything it's like experimental music you're not doing it for people you're doing it because you want to express something inside you're not mm. doing it to like make somebody happy out there if somebody's happy because you're doing it then it's a bonus like great I reached somebody but yeah. I mean it's a lot of artists that don't care what the outside thinks of what they do they're that's just a, doing it that's a good commentary on uh, or a I don't know about doing things that are where the intent is somehow uh blurred, mirrored, I mean, not mirrored, blurred or hidden or sort of like, you know, I don't know, like, when you're doing that, like, you know what you're you're saying, but you don't want it to be obvious, and that's part of the experience, is, like, some of the best movies out there, you're watching and you're just, like, trying to figure it out, and you don't quite get it, and that's, like, part of the experience, is to to be lost is actually a great experience. Yeah, it's like an interpretation also, too, you're interpreting their art. Like what they were trying to... Yeah, you're searching and your mind's going like, what is this? Like, that's... That's a legit experience. There's something about mystery. We were talking about that Hail Caesar I just saw. Yeah. It just... I had... I got a a truly hilarious moment with the people that were in front of me in the theater. Just gets to the end. Oh, yeah. Credits start rolling. And the person in front of me, uh, one of them goes, Okay. (laughs) <laughs> and the other one like immediately after is like well that sucked <laughs> and I just I couldn't stop laughing yeah. because and you loved it I loved it yeah I loved it but they were waiting they had a sense of expectation um, maybe that could be our next podcast mm. like as a spectator a viewer uh, uh, someone who critiques like walking into something with no expectation yeah. I think it's healthy super healthy yeah, they, they clearly had an expectation that this is how a movie ends and that there needs to be some sort of you know I made the joke about you know Godzilla has to you know trample the Eiffel Tower <laughs> and then we know it's the end right. and then we crap right. and then yeah you know or yeah. Captain America saves the day or whatever but this movie is I think it's it's awesome it's uh, Coen Brothers and I was, I was, I was, I was, 
yeah, it just sort of ends, and it's it's like, what was it about? And you have to really think about what, what it was about. And I think expectation uh, is probably, this is a big statement, but more often than not, expectation is a negative thing. Because leads to unhappiness, for sure. Except for maybe expecting that you'll be safe, and you're not. <laughs> but, like, expecting, you know, like, here's what happens with maybe in the music industry. Like... The whole idea of like, okay, an A&R guy is going to listen to a song. His expectation is, this better have a huge memorable chorus. And then it doesn't. This song is of no interest to me. Like, as opposed to no expectations, no big chorus, but was that a good song otherwise? Like, was it still a good song? Like, if it didn't meet your expectations, can it still be good? I mean, how much music would we, would we have... We'd actually have no innovation if only the people who's trying to get their expectations met were getting them met. We'd have the same thing over and over. Yeah. But it's like, I think it's those pe- those renegades and those people with open minds who don't have expectations that hear a diamond in the rough that has nothing to do with anything that's out and be like, you know, that's great and it has nothing to do with what I expected. Yeah. I'm going to trust my gut and go with it. I think that's like, we're losing that a little bit. Specifically in music, and I think in films a little bit too. I think there's an expectation now that you know things have to blow up, and there better be special effects, and it better not have like a long period of time with no dialogue. Or you know, that, that was one of the coolest things about the movie. I, I was thinking it as I was watching it is that I'm so glad this exists. It might not be what I want to watch all the time, but the fact that a movie like that is allowed to exist. I think Wes Anderson fits in the same category. Coen Brothers kind of have a license to... They earn the right to make any kind of movie they want. I think that's huge, man. You know what's funny is I had the same exact experience of uh, of being grateful watching The Revenant, that new Leonardo DiCaprio movie. I was sitting in the theater and just going like, I'm just grateful that somebody funded this movie, made it with so much like passion and legitimacy and obviously like it was like a very difficult movie to make like I spent probably 10% of of the time watching that movie slightly outside the movie just going like I'm so glad there's a good movie out like Mm -hmm. being thankful yeah it's rare it's rare for a movie like that with like not a lot of dialogue incredible like cinematography and like a good story and good acting and um, it's funny we had two pretty much opposite movies but really great movies by very talented artists that it was just like wow thank you thank you that it's not another superhero movie where there's no my humanity isn't getting caught up in it because you know that somebody just fell off a building or got kicked by a robot and they're still like fine. Yeah. Like there's no there's nothing at stake. Like that it's just a bummer. Like that stuff is fun and it's it's like a, it's candy and stuff. But like I want to be moved as a human being and you, you're taking me out of it. I think when it's like just so unrealistic and so chock full of like bam 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 bam. Look how amazing these effects are. I don't know. Yeah. It, it reminded me when you said that just now of why I think people get so into Game of Thrones. I mean, it's awesome, but it's because you know anyone, no matter how big the name is, the actor, they could die at any moment, and they're not afraid to just... That dude's gone. <laughs> so bold. And Sean Bean, out of here. You know, we're letting it away. That was first season. Hopefully you watch it. Yeah, spoiler um, alert in reverse. Yeah, but uh, that's the cool one of the cool things about watching that movie is it it is sort of like the superhero action flicky expectation of, you know, swashbuckling, whatever. Yeah. But the fact that anybody goes at any time is just really cool. That's cool. I haven't seen any of yeah. it. I have a question for you, Gannon, before we end. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's your favorite color? I don't have a favorite color. Alright, so on over to Mike. <laughs> we have one more question that I promised to answer, which came to my Instagram. Um, they asked the what the snare drummer. 
asked Matt. Matt Padilla. Yeah, he asked what that song was um, at the beginning of the Broken City Percussion Show. Um, it's the vocals from a song on my record called, on my last record, Way Out, which is on iTunes and wherever. It's called Reborn. And um, there are excerpts of some other songs, too, that are coming out on my new record. One's called Mother, Father, and I think that's the only one, right? Uh, yes, all the other stuff is specific yeah. to the show. Yeah. So what was... You may have told me, but I don't remember exactly what your what your reasoning was behind choosing that. Those lyrics. How, how much time do we have? Is <laughs> <laughs> it? Is it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. I think just the the imagery that that I, I personally got from the, uh, the stanzas that we used. Um, spending hours and days shoveling dirt. Throwing shovels full of dirt on the grave. Throwing shovels full of dirt on the grave. The dearly departed version one of me. Right, the dearly departed version one of me. Like that, just, you put all that together and it's just, I mean, not knowing that the song is called Reborn, because in the, in the chorus in the original song, it's definitely Reborn and you automatically get that. Reborn, mm-hmm. um, and then you imply that with uh, with version one of me, and there's something really intriguing about about that. Um, I wanted it to tie in to not only this year's show, which is called Cage, um, which is there's a lot of different directions it's taking, but it's basically like the the psychological barriers that we put up um, uh, it, in decision making and creativity and moving forward in life and these, these things that aren't really there you just think they're there because they're real to you preconceived cages right and then trying to get you know push your way out of these of these areas but I wanted to tie into that um, and sort of like eventually the eventual escape from the cage is the reborn so it, it ties in, in that mm-hmm. way but I also wanted to reference last year last year's show was called Bloom which is another one of your, your songs um, same album same album and I wanted to sort of, we renamed the group from OCI to Broken City Percussion. And I wanted to make a little bit of reference to that. We actually have a, a little quote there from Bloom in the middle of the uh, intro. A musical quote? Yeah. yeah. And um, so I wanted to tie into that as well. Like, like OCI, we have you know, respect from where we came from. There's no disrespect intended in renaming the ensemble. And you know, a lot of effort was um, put forth in bringing that organization to life. And then on the dearly departed version one of me, which is OCI. So it kind of ties in both respects. It's mm-hmm. dual layered. And then also tying into just the fact that uh, it was the very first year of um, not only incorpor- incorporating your material, but um, Kevin Shaw and myself working together in an independent um, independent world capacity so that that sort of um, moving on from that like creating an identity because we definitely created an identity last year um, and we did what we could with it and then we wanted to like, use that as a jumping off point so that's kind of why I was drawn to it those are the things I felt when I heard when I heard that song that's really cool it's like acknowledging where you've been and where you're going in like kind of like an eloquent, respectful way. I don't know if you you told me all that. It's cool because it's interesting in this show, and in Bloom also you, Bloom last year and then Reborn and Mother Father this year. Like, I write these songs as very much personal expressionistic, finished pieces of music, and then you relate to them and in, in in whatever way you relate to them and almost. Turn into a ransom note. <laughs> yeah, like it's a, it's a it's like an active collage and repurposing. That's like a conversation of like putting those vocals in a new context because the music underneath the vocals is completely something else. Like when you hear my version of it, it's different harmonic underpinning to it, and give those lyrics a different feeling. Because I mean, when you're writing melodies and lyrics you're finishing that thought by what chords you put under it. It's like all part of the 
songwriting process and you you took it and put a different spin on it that was like yours and that's a really cool way to it's been an interesting way to collaborate because it's sort of like collaborating with a message in a bottle it's like I'm not there like I just sent you this thing and I was like I can't wait to hear what you do with it because I respect you and Kevin as artists and it's been an awesome experience, man, especially because we go back so far, and the whole world of percussion ensemble, like, that whole activity to me is, like, really close to my heart, and a part of who I am as a person, how I came up as an artist, and, you know, being your student when I was a kid, and now we're just friends and collaborating this way, and... Gannon's a part of the show too, like Gannon, that guitar solo was composed by you. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's great, man. We've, we've all been friends like 20 years. Yeah, jeez. Yeah, and I'm, I'm 21, so that's... Anyway, that's a good note to end on. Yeah. Thanks for watching, listening, whatever you're doing. We'll be back in roughly a week with podcast number 11. Thanks, guys. Leave a comment. Let us know what you think. We love to hear from you guys. And if you want to, uh, I believe it was Michael, email me at broken city, uh, info at brokencityartists.com, and I can send you that PDF on composition and songwriting if you're interested. Thanks a lot, guys. Next time. Peace. Thank you.